Now, some of you in this room find it impossible not to believe in God. For you, it's totally obvious that there is a God and that Christianity is the truth. And for you, believing as a Christian is easy. You don't struggle with it. It's just easy. Some of you, on the other hand, are the exact opposite. For you, it is impossible to believe in God. For you, it's totally obvious that there is no such thing as God. Or maybe you're agnostic on that level. But for you, it's totally obvious that Christianity is kind of a myth that's just developed over time. And we should leave it in the past like we've left Greek mythology, Norse mythology, and other such things. And for you, Jesus rising from the dead is very close to some other myths that our culture celebrates on certain days in the middle of winter. And then there's this large group of people who are in between these two poles. Easy to believe, easy not to believe. People who struggle with belief or struggle with unbelief. People who do believe, but you've got deep doubts, uh, perpetually occurring doubts. That doubt is a background to your faith, kind of like a low-grade fever, kind of like the walking pneumonia is to some people who just, you push on through. And then there are other people you don't believe, but for you, there's an uncertainty about your unbelief, <laughs> that maybe you're wrong. And, and you have doubts about skepticism. You're a skeptic, you're not a believer, but you're not entirely comfortable with your unbelief. There are people who live right in the middle of these two poles. You live with doubt. And whichever side of the seesaw you're on, if you live with doubts about belief or doubts about unbelief, if you live with them very long, you know it is simply not possible just to push them away. Just to believe or just to stop believing. And you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't push your doubts away. It's not good to evade doubt. You need to squarely face the difficulties of either believing or not believing. Faith in Christ is something that doesn't have to be based on reasons. There are plenty of people who believe and they don't demand evidence. Not evidence the way science presents it. They'll give other evidence that, well, I just believe and that's evidence enough. Faith in Christ doesn't have to be based on reasons. You know, I don't, I don't have to know how the internal combustion engine works in order to get in my car and drive it. I can, I can just drive. And there are people who are like that with faith, right? They don't have to know why. They don't have to know how. They just do. Faith in Christ doesn't have to be based on reasons, but really thinking deeply about the reasonableness of the Christian faith can be very important. And if you live in the middle, I would say to you, you need to think about it. Because the most important question about Christianity is not, does it work? 
It's not, is it useful? The most important question about Christianity is whether it's true or not. Everything rises and falls on that. I mean, sure, we can accept Christianity as something that's beneficial to society, but that's really, at the end of the day, not a very comfortable place to settle. Right? I mean, because who wants to have a good society based on a lie? Are we really comfortable with that? No. The key question of Christianity is not, does it work? Not, is it useful? It is quite simply, is it true or not? So this morning, I want to talk to those for whom faith in Christ is difficult. And let's start here. If you're one of those who struggles with doubt, I encourage you to ask the question, why? What is the reason behind your doubts? What are the reasons that you lack confidence in Christianity? And and the answer to that is going to be different for different people. Why do you continue to struggle with belief? Different people, different reasons. Some, it's because you just don't have the ability to believe. To believe confidently. It, it could, that could be the ground level. That for you, belief is difficult, period. No, no, nothing more. And, you, and, and for you, the issue is the very nature of believing in something you can't see and feel and taste and touch. For other people, your, your doubts might be because you've lacked the opportunity to actually explore them. I mean, we all know that there are many pockets of Christianity where doubt is not allowed. And so even to admit your doubts and to own up to them is to automatically put you in such a defensive position with those around you that you can't even explore them. It's possible to live within a group of Christians who have this kind of aggressive antagonism to doubt. And so some of you, maybe you've just never had the opportunity to deal with the fact that there are many legitimate objections to Christianity. There are many legitimate objections to Christianity. And if you're a person who those objections haunt you and you've not been allowed to explore them, this can result in a very difficult position, a kind of bifurcated personality that, that will not last too long into adulthood. Now, now, some of you, it might be something else. For some others of you, it might simply be this. With all due respect, some people struggle with doubt because they're lazy. I mean, I mean put it this way. Some people don't know algebra because they haven't been given the opportunity to learn it. But some people sit in algebra and out of laziness never learn it. It is possible there are people who struggle with doubt and they're always saying they don't like doubt and they're asking people's opinion. But at the end of the day, they don't put the hard work necessary into coming to a confident knowledge of a very complex subject. And then while I'm in the negative kind of side, some people struggle with doubt out of pride. Pride. A refusal to kind of go down the path of learning something that's hard, not because you're lazy, but because, doggone it, that's your identity. You're a skeptic. And in your kind of prideful obstinance, you're not facing up. 
to this thing that gives you a lot of stroke in a culture where skepticism is valued. And then there's one last possibility that we all have to own up to. Some people, maybe your struggles with doubt, maybe it's because at the end of the day, this whole thing's a sham. And maybe that's what's generating the doubt. It's the, uh, it's, it's the truthfulness of unbelief. Now, that's a possibility because, like I said, there's no knockdown argument for or against Christianity. And it's sort of like a court case. There is never a single piece of evidence. It's always a cumulative effect. Now, Christianity is true. And I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that that last one is not the case. But we must put it on the board as a possibility. Now, for those of you who struggle with doubts, in the words of a wonderful Anglican theologian by the name of J.I. Packer, I ask you for the moment to stop your ears to those who tell you there is no road to knowledge about God. And just for a few minutes this morning, come a little way with me and let's see. Now what I want to do this morning is I want to, su- to give you four ways to begin learning the truth about Christianity. Four ways to begin addressing your doubts. First of all, the first step is to recognize that knowledge is essential to faith. Believing in Jesus Christ, nowhere in the Bible is believing in Jesus a blind leap of faith. We, we have this notion of a blind leap of faith, as it says in Miracle on 34th Street, this idea that you step out into something you don't know. Well, that's baloney. That's, that's a very new romantic idea of faith. The Bible always presents faith, Christian faith, as something that is rooted in knowledge. Rooted in knowledge. There are many, many examples of this in the Bible. One good one is when Jesus is being pushed really hard by some people who don't buy what he's saying. And here's his response to them. John chapter 8. He says, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. K-N-O-W. No, knowledge. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, obviously, there's a lot going on in this statement. But just notice how Jesus places knowledge squarely at the center of Christian faith. He puts knowledge right in the center of the geography of believing. Actually knowing the truth. And in this context, the truth, if you read through all of John's gospel, the truth is knowing something about God that is actually correct. We will never understand the life of faith seen in scripture and in serious Christian living unless we drop this idea of faith as a blind leap. We've got to understand that faith is different than knowledge But it is rooted in knowledge, biblical faith. Faith is the commitment to an action 
that often goes beyond your natural abilities, but it is based upon accurate knowledge of God and the way God works within this world. When God calls people in the Bible to make... Look, one quick example. Those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament, there's this remarkable story of a little dude named David and a giant dude named Goliath. And, and, and Goliath is scaring the, the heck out of everybody. Nobody wants to face him and he's got a big sword and a big spear and he's yelling at all these people who, who believe in God and he's taunting them and he's telling them their God's fake and not real. And David, little runt David, he shows up and he says, well, I'll take on that guy. And everybody says, How, why, why aren't you afraid? How can you do that? And David says, very simply, I trust God. Now notice what he says next. Not, I've got blind faith in God. He says, these are the things that I've experienced in life. There was this lion one time and there was this bear one time. I've got knowledge, real knowledge of how God has worked in my life. And based on that, I have faith that, that, Goliath, that I can handle this situation. And look, you go through time after time in the Bible when God calls Abraham to leave and go to a country he doesn't know. It's not faith rooted in ignorance. He does this because of what he knows about God. He faces an unknown Rooted in his knowledge of something that's real. Faith in the Bible is never portrayed as a blind leap. It's always trusting rooted in knowledge. Knowledge, in other words, is essential to your faith. So if you have doubts, face them. Face them. Don't try to ignore them or just will them away. Don't try to just put your hands over your eyes or your mind and try harder to believe. No, 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 I believe, I believe, I don't care what you tell me. Some people try to make their doubts go away by just willing them away. Other people try to make their doubts go away by going through rituals and routines that produce certain feelings of faith. So we go to this conference or we go into this particular type of worship event that generates certain emotions that are, that are very um, kind of interconnected with faith. Other people, it's not so much willing doubts away or trying to feel doubts away. Other people, they pursue divine inspiration and miracles to substantiate their click. Now look, all three of these things are good. Willpower, miracles... Feelings, all of these are good. And all of these have their place, but none of them are the right way to deal with doubts. Throwing them out is not right. I'm just saying this is not the way you deal with doubts. Right? Exercise is good. But if you're, I don't know, starving, exercise is not the answer. It doesn't deal with the situation directly. Look, these three things don't deal with doubts correctly. So that's the first point. Recognize that faith, genuine biblical faith, is not a blind leap. It's a commitment to action rooted in knowledge. That's the first thing. The second step to beginning to deal with doubt is this. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. If we want to know the truth... We must humble ourselves and become like little children. Jesus says this in Matthew 18. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that's that's a very deep subject, the kingdom of heaven. But for 
sake of this morning, that is Jesus summing up and making a little piece of, a little bumper sticker out of what a whole issue of things that at the heart of which is knowing who God is and knowing him personally. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never know the truth about God. Now look, and before you think I'm just trying to brainwash you and do some kind of tricky little move where just buy it. This is true about all of life. You cannot learn to become excellent in anything without submitting yourself to a teacher and a discipline and a field of knowledge, right? Teachers know this. The student that sits in class like this and their hard attitude is skepticism about you and everything you're saying and the whole subject. The attitude of pride is a significant barrier to knowledge in any category of knowledge, So I'm not trying to do a fast one here. I'm taking something we know about everything and applying it to a very complex subject, the knowledge of God. Entering the kingdom, this this thing about walking with God and truly knowing God, to do this, to really face your doubts... See, this is what I was getting at with some, for some of us, the, the real reason we doubt, not everybody, but for some is pride. See, because to get out of doubts, a critical move is, is, is to turn away from the normal human attitude, the attitude that says we're in charge of our life, the attitude that says we're quite competent and capable of managing it on our own. Jesus says, no, you've got to be like little, see, little children aren't like that. Little children, they come to you for help, shamelessly, persistently, consistently, right? All day long. This is, a, this is what children are like. Now, for too many people, this is the end of the story. For too many people, they are not going to humble themselves. That would be beneath their dignity. Or maybe you're going to do this modified move where you try to negotiate a deal with God. In which you're still in charge of your life, but you get occasional help from God on projects that um, are just so utterly overwhelming that you're going to, you know, send out a lifeline. But here's the deal. That never works. Pridefully refusing nor negotiating a deal. This will not lead to truth. Not in any category of life. Including the complex body of knowledge about God. You will never come to really know genuine truth about God until you humble yourself. So first, recognize that knowledge matters to faith. And then humble yourself. And third... Go to work and work hard. The passage Stephen read to us. Doesn't Stephen have a great voice? Proverbs chapter 2. Don't you ever hear Stephen reading and say, yes, Lord? (laughs) Do his sons do? I don't know. Anyway, let's... uh... Proverbs chapter 2, verse 3. If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver or dollars, you know, money, if you search for it as for hidden treasures, 
then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. See, once again, knowledge right at the center of the geography of faith. Now, like I've been saying, the central teachings of Christianity is that the truth about God can be known. Not just believed, but you can actually know if it's true or not. Now, just, I mean, just sit with that for a minute. That's... That's a very risky bet for a religion to make, right? You put that right at the heart of your religion, you either deliver or don't deliver, right? Now, but here's the deal. Knowledge of God, like all knowledge of any complexity or depth, knowing the truth about God doesn't just happen. You know what it takes to learn calculus? I don't, but I hear. (laughs) Pre-cal, that was my limit. Well, actually, it was a little beyond my limit. I was slightly below that. But do you know what it took to even get there? Try not to look in this direction at one math professor. It took like first grade and second grade and third grade and fourth grade and fifth grade. There's all kinds of things you know that you spent years building up the ability to know them. Right? Any complex body of knowledge requires work. Knowing the truth about God doesn't just happen. You can't just, it's not fair to just sit there and say, I don't know if I believe, I'm a skeptic, I've got doubts, and then not work at it, right? That's like the student saying, I don't understand algebra, I don't understand calculus, and never even trying, right? That's not fair. Don't wear that as a badge of honor. You need to replace that with a badge that says proud or laziness. Right Now, this is not everybody. This is not all doubts. But this is a critical issue. Genuine knowledge of what is real in this universe. Genuine knowledge of who God is and how he relates to humans. This is complex and deep. And it doesn't just jump into your mind. And it can't be forced on you either. You've got to welcome it. You've got to be a host. You've got to spread the tablecloth on the table. You've got to have the attitude of a kind host. Have you ever been in somebody's house who's a jerk? Who's not a good host? The whole time you're there, you get the sense that they don't want you there. That it's nap time. You know what I'm saying? You can't treat the knowledge of God that way and actually get anything from it. You have to work. You've got to work hard. You can't just put your hands over your eyes and try to force yourself to believe. That's an act of laziness. One time, Jesus was teaching in the temple and his hearers were commenting on how much he knew about God and how, or he claimed to know about God and how confident he was in the statements he was making about God. And they asked him, how can you know this stuff? How can you be so confident? How can you stand up and just say, this is right and that is wrong and this is who God is and this is what God expects of us? And in response, it's very interesting to me that Jesus didn't say, just because or just believe. You know what he said? Listen very close. This is John chapter 7 verse 17. Listen close to his response. This is a beautiful situation because it mirrors our situation exactly, right? You stand up in, in this city and say, X, Y, or Z should not be allowed because it's wrong. Now you can do that if it's one of the currently sexy things to speak out and pontificate on. 
But on other issues, how can you know that? How can you do that? Now, Jesus was in the same scenario. He was standing up and confidently saying things that everybody in his culture were like, wait, 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 you can't, you can't say that. You can't know that. Listen to his response. Anyone who resolves to do the will of God will know, not believe, know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own. Now notice, once again, a very risky move, right? Very risky. He says, you can figure it out for yourself. You can actually know if what I'm saying is true or not. Now look, that is either a massive bluff that he's just trying to bluff his way out of a situation or it's an invitation. Do you hear his confidence? Jesus was confident that you can actually know what is true about the universe, about God, about this whole big thing. He was confident. And not only was he confident you can know it, he was confident you can verify it. You can have genuine, personal acquaintance with God. But like any other real and true and complex and deep knowledge, you have to apply yourself. Listen to his word. Anyone who resolves to do the will of God. See, for some of you, the the issue of your doubts might be there. You have simply not resolved. You're just instead existing in that place of doubt. Now, again, this is not everyone, but this is a very serious issue. Now, maybe you grew up in a religious home. And as you entered adulthood and moved out of your parents' house, you discovered other perspectives. And suddenly you began to look at your upbringing in a very different way. And you begin to see that your faith was really just a product of being raised. In this, among this group of people. And once you moved out of your house, and once you separated from that environment, you began to discover that you're not sure anymore. You began to question and wonder is your faith really just kind of a function of a social necessity? And you began to. Ex- Experience genuine doubts. And as time has gone by, eventually the whole house of your faith has come crashing down. Your faith has evaporated. It has withered away. It is entirely possible to have genuine faith and to lose it. It's absolutely possible to lose faith. Now, maybe you struggle with the whole issue. Maybe for you, it's not that. Maybe for you, it's the issue of science and religion. After all, doesn't the Bible teach that the earth was created fairly recently in a fairly short period of time? And that the God who created it also created human beings in in this special act? And then suddenly you you get exposed to a whole body of science that is in direct contradiction to that view. A whole body of scientific knowledge that has immense credibility to it. That the earth is tremendously old. 
that all of life, including human life, evolved by natural processes from inanimate matter. And then there are the miracles. Water turned into wine, a man walking on water, somebody rising from the dead. Come on now. And at the end of the day, for you, Christianity is just scientifically implausible. It's just, a, the Christianity is really just this pre-scientific, mythological view of things. Look, if, if that's where you are, let's talk. Please talk with me. And let me point you in a direction of some really good resources. Let me point you in a way that you can work hard on that issue. Some of the best minds in America right now are working on that issue. Right down the street. Francis Collins, the head of the National Institute of Health, he he directed the project of mapping the human genome. In the midst, as he was an atheist, he was a medical research scientist. For him, the hard work of looking at the evidence led to his conversion. And he's written some wonderful books, one called The Language of God, where he is really dealing with the real issues, not in some naive kind of uh, just dogmatic way, but in a true investigatory way. Let me please, if you're struggling with science and faith, let's talk together. And there are scientists in our church who are very serious about this issue. And for the record, that the earth is billions of years old, and that is in no way contradictory to Genesis. See, sometimes our doubts are because of wrong beliefs. And sometimes our doubts are are other reasons. But look, please, don't just live with them. Now, there are others of you. And maybe for you it's not science. Maybe for you it's not the sociology of faith. Maybe for you it's the problem of evil. If God is so good and so powerful, why does he allow so much evil and misery to go on in this world? If that's you, please talk to me. Talk to somebody. That is a serious issue. That is a legitimate objection to Christianity. It is a serious defeater of the faith. But you are not the first to think about that. That has been at the heart of people thinking deeply about the faith. You don't have to face the specter of that doubt alone. And along those lines, for some people, if Christianity is true, why have so many professed Christians been responsible for so many dreadful things? You know, the, throughout the 1700s and the 1800s, the church was, was right next to the ruling authority. And it sanctioned and legitimated the way the elite people in European culture clobbered the powerless And you start reading that history, and it can shatter your sense of Christianity because suddenly the ethic of Christianity has not really ever been lived out. So are all Christians hypocrites? And right now in our own lives, the church in Northern Ireland and in the Middle East continually has given people an excuse to hate and to kill. And isn't Christianity sexist and oppressive of women and oppressive of gay people? Look, if these are your struggles, let's talk about them. Face them. Do the hard work. Don't live off of sound bites. Now, the way to deal with serious and continuing doubts is to face them head on. And that's hard work. 
So first, recognize knowledge matters to faith. Second, humble yourself. Third, get to work, work hard. And fourth, obey Jesus. Now, go back to think back to, to something I read to you earlier. It's John chapter 8, verse 31. When Jesus is responding to his critics and he says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Look, either it's a bluff or it's true. Take him up on it. If you want to know if Christianity is real, Jesus says, do what I say and then you will believe. He, he makes a far bigger wager. He says, do what I say and then you will know. So, hey, that's easy. Either it's a bluff or an invitation. Well, treat it like an invitation. You cannot discover the truth about God through detached, neutral contemplation. We are not talking about learning the bones of a fish on your lab table. We're talking about a different type of knowledge. This type of knowledge can't be gained neutrally through detached observation. We learn, we know who God is by doing His will. Or we know it's all a sham. In the context of this passage, doing his will, it means holding to his teachings. It means living in accordance with his commands. So look, by the way, maybe some of you struggle with faith. You have doubts because of the first issue I've given. Maybe for you, your doubts can be dealt with by just coming out of kind of a Christian ghetto and developing the courage to say knowledge matters. For some of you, maybe what you need to do is humble yourself. For some of you, maybe what you need to do is work hard. For some of you, maybe you're all about all that stuff. But at the end of the day, you are not on an inward level obeying the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus puts obedience as a critical piece of acquiring true knowledge of God. In other words, moral laziness. Now, the reformed world has gotten into trouble here because the reformed world is so keen on faith as a gift that it's been afraid to recognize that moral laziness can be a faith defeater out of its desire to protect faith as a gift from God. We're not going to go into it now. I am reformed. Those two things are not exclusive, okay? We're not going to go all into it now, but faith is a gift, yes. And at the same time, you, it, it, at the same time it, it is rooted in hard moral sweat. Now, these claims are in the Bible. Obedience to Jesus. Part of what this means is that if you think a good case can be made for Christianity and you want to be a Christian, but somehow you just can't believe, you should simply start to act like a Christian. Now, look, I'm not trying to pile guilt on people. There are people in the room, you've got this down, but your doubts are in another category. And you are in the last category I talked about. You are acting like a Christian and you can still... Look, doubting doesn't mean you're an immature believer. How you deal with your doubts is, is, is what marks you as mature or not. So some of you, I'm not trying to say your problem is you're not holy enough. I, for some of you, it might be the previous category. Your problem is mental laziness. You haven't really worked hard on your doubts. Others of you, it's not that. It's just you've never been in a context where you can actually explore them. So I'm not trying to put everybody in the same category, but there are some people who desperately 
want to either believe or disbelieve, but you refuse to obey. And I'm telling you, this is an issue. You can't, if you want to know the truth, you have to try it on. Another way to say it is fake it until you either believe it or don't. What this means is you need to begin to pray. One of my favorite uh, books that I've read in the last several years is a memoir. Oh, what's her name? Uh, Liars Club, Cherry, uh, Lit. Mary Carr's memoir. Brilliant artist. She's, a, she's got a chair in literature at Syracuse, maybe. Is that right? And uh, she was an atheist. She's a part of the New York Literati set. Literati set. And uh, her life descended into utter catastrophe. I recommend these three memoirs, by the way. The, um, the last one she tells of her conversion. And you know where it started? Humbling herself to pray, even though she didn't believe there was a God. Just faking it. Pray. Meet with other Christians. Really meet with them. Not fake meet with them, like let's have coffee together. Join a small group. I mean, really start meeting with Christians. Participate in public worship. Study the Bible. Find what Jesus taught. Doesn't take rocket scientists, the scientists to read him saying, do this, do that. You know, by the way, those who think that the New Testament isn't about command, it's all about grace. There are almost as many commands in the New Testament as there are in the Old. You can't go through a page of the New Testament without being told what to do. Well, whatever it tells you to do, do it. All right. And what I'm saying is that you might find yourself no longer doubting. But don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that joining a church firms up your beliefs through some sort of mob mentality. I'm not saying that... What I'm saying is that following Jesus provides a genuine test of the claims of Christianity. Christianity promises that a commitment to Jesus will provide you with a new insight into yourself, an understanding of your own deepest needs and desires, and and an insight into who God is. It doesn't promise... Success or freedom from distress or freedom from anxiety. But what it does promise is an assurance that your guilt has been forgiven. That's different than saying you won't feel guilty. Now, you should feel guilty when you do bad things. If you don't, there's a psychological term for that, isn't there? Sociopath. But Christianity provides an assurance that you are forgiven. Christianity promises that you will know that you are accepted by God and that you have the resources to experience more and more of the eternal life with God now and after death. Christianity offers you a chance to really know the truth about who God is, who you are, and what's going on in this world. So if you struggle with doubt, recognize that knowledge is essential to faith, humble yourself, work hard, don't ignore your doubts, face them, work hard, investigate them, and obey Jesus. Now let me close with this. For those of you who have not committed your life to Jesus Christ, I want to talk directly to you. What I'm about to say is not for those who have committed their lives and they struggle with doubt. It's to those who struggle with doubt and you haven't committed yourself to Jesus. I want to ask you a question. What do you want out of life? Really? 
What do you want out of life? Is it money? Will money really satisfy you? Is it fame? Is it honor? What do you want? Do you live for erotic love? Because there's children in the room, I put it that way. Why not search your heart and find out if the divine lover of your soul, Jesus Christ, is what you really want? Do it. Don't be lazy. Do it. What do you really want? And why not search and ask the question, is the hunger in me really, is the answer to that this God who claims to not only be my creator but my lover? Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus is not only the one that you will ultimately discover you want. He's the one you're going to ultimately discover you don't want at the same time. Because the further inside you go, you're going to discover a paradox. You will discover that the truth is that God the creator came to this life, came to this world. It is Jesus Christ. You will, if you search, you will discover that truth. That is something you can know. It is, test, it is testable, it is verifiable, and you will discover that it is what you have always wanted. And at the same time, you will discover you don't want anything to do with him. There's this paradox. You know why? And he even said this. He said that he promises to turn your life upside down by directly challenging your desire to play God in your own life. So he's both. He's both the lover you've always wanted and the lover that will not let you be in charge. So if you commit yourself to Jesus and his way, you should expect that you will both find moments of absolute exhilarating joy and wholeness and you will discover immense resistance. Enormous resistance. We should never forget the deep truth of Jesus' words. The same truth that he exemplified in his life and his death that life only comes by dying. That your true living can only come by dying to your own God complex. To your own absolute need to be in charge and to know the truth about everything before you ever even do it. Whoever wants to find real truth. Real truth about God, reality and themselves. Must be prepared To lose in that struggle, in that journey. Because he who loses finds life. And dying is never easy. But the path to eternal life with God is worth it. You can know the truth. You can. If you're struggling with doubt, don't be ashamed. Doubt in no way indicates the the maturity or not of your faith. Don't be ashamed. I'm convinced that churches like ours, evangelical churches, brutalize single people by making them feel incomplete because they're not having sex. They brutalize introverts because pastors like me tend to extrovert everybody. And they brutalize doubters. Can we please be a church where we make room for the single, the introvert, and the skeptic?
Let's pray.